The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio 680 WPTF and 98.5 FM. This is the Turning Your Life Around podcast, presented by 180 Counseling, hosted by founder Sarah Coates, a licensed clinical mental health counselor. In this podcast, Sarah and her team of therapists will dive deep into many topics on mental health care. Here's your host, Sarah Coates. Hello, and welcome to the Turning Your Life Around podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Coates, and I'm joined today by a very special guest, Kayla McAllister, who is actually a front office coordinator in our Cary Apex location. Welcome, Kayla. Thanks for having me. So glad that you are here today. And we are talking about a mental health topic today, bipolar disorder. And no one's coerced you to be here. You (laughs) willingly wanted to jump on the podcast and do some education and awareness around bipolar disorder. And bipolar is a pretty common mental health disorder. And there's bipolar one, bipolar two. So I would love for you just to take a few minutes and share your story, if you're willing, about how you came to diagnosis, your current treatment and what that looks for people who might be in treatment and the outcomes. Jump on in and and share a little bit about your story. I'm most intrigued on how you came to diagnosis. So in 2016, I was diagnosed with a heart condition. And in 2017, I had surgery for it. And almost immediately right after that, I went into an extreme depression. I had no motivation to do anything, very low self-worth. And my, at the time, boyfriend, now husband, he convinced me to go to therapy. At first, I was kind of unsure about it. But the more I went, the more I opened up to her. And we were able to just go through what I've been through throughout my entire life up until now. And she taught me ways of how to cope with things. The biggest thing was sticking to a schedule and writing down my triggers for depression or anxiety because my anxiety kind of went side to side with my heart condition. So that's where my anxiety really stemmed from. As we went through the appointments, eventually she referred me out to a psychiatrist and I went to a psychiatrist. I was put on medication. However, because of my previous heart condition, I had a reaction to that that Mm. put me into the ER. Mm. So I backed off of that. Basically, I just went back to square one with a therapist and we really nailed down my coping strategy strategies is keeping to a schedule. If I don't have a schedule, then I'm kind of, what am I going to do now? And then keeping track of what really does trigger me. Like even today, I'll have moments where I'll just randomly snap at my family members for no apparent reason. And then of course I apologize and I'll think, why did I snap? Like what can I do next time to not do that? Because Um, explosive anger or intermittent anger explosiveness I mean, that is a symptom of bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. What are some other symptoms that your therapist kind of educated you around that clued you all into maybe bipolar is your diagnosis, not just depression standalone? Mm -hmm. I think within the first couple of sessions, she definitely diagnosed me with depression. And as we got further along, she diagnosed me with bipolar disorder number two, Mm -hmm. because it's It wasn't as extreme mood swings or extreme highs, but they were still pretty significant for my normal self. Mm -hmm. Like basically I would be really, really low and not want to do anything. Or I would think, oh, I'm so so much better than this. I can do X, Y, Z. And I would push myself and push myself to do that. And then once I completed it, I'd be like, oh, what's next for me to do? Or I would have these really... I guess, significant goals that I wouldn't be able to achieve right then and there, but Mm. I would almost force myself to do it. Mm. Um, 
Like grandiose kind of goals mm-hmm. or ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would be very spontaneous during those moments. Mm. Like normally, I like to plan things out. And actually, a couple of spontaneous things I've done was get tattoos. Mm. That was my a couple of my spontaneous things. But I learned everything I could um, from my diagnosis. And I'm kind of proud that I've dealt with it as I have. And I love sharing it with people and to help them seek help because everyone deals with something. Yeah. Everyone. Like it's impossible to not, it's impossible to have to do it by yourself. Like mm-hmm. you need help. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're all humans and mm-hmm. all humans have different struggles and some people have a mental health struggle such mm-hmm. as bipolar disorder. And like I said earlier, it is very common. And I think a lot of times overlooked, mm-hmm. overlooked or misdiagnosed, maybe individuals don't even realize they have bipolar disorder. They think, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I just feel really great sometimes and I can go without sleep for a <laughs> bunch of days and I'm good. Mm-hmm. And then they go and do some of these spontaneous things. And unfortunately, for some people during those manic phases, they might be more self-destructive. And maybe for you, you didn't experience the self-destructive, but it does sound like you Mm -hmm. did some spontaneous things like, you know, and I don't think tattoos is by any means (laughs) self-destructive, but for you, it was more spontaneous, maybe something out of your norm. Is that Mm -hmm. what you're saying? I mean, I enjoy tattoos, but I always get them during a high, I've noticed. Mm -hmm. Um, During a high manic phase? mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing I've noticed throughout my life is that like growing up, I've always been kind of a loner kid. Like, I have my friends, but none of them were your best friends. Mm -hmm. And my dad, he noticed that I was kind of depressed growing up, but he never really acted upon it. And when when I brought up the idea of going to my school counselor back in college, he was for it. He was happy I was seeking help. But my mom, on the other hand, was kind of, I wouldn't say against it, but kind of in denial that Mm -hmm. my daughter doesn't have anything going on with her. She has a perfect life, perfect future what's for her to worry about or have issues for. So that was, I don't know if I would say a trigger, but definitely something that, like every time I would try and talk to her about it, I would end up lashing out to her because of how denied Right. How much of a denial she was in. Like you were trying to prove to her maybe Mm -hmm. that there was something going on and you had a legit reason to go seek out some professional help and she Mm -hmm. was in denial. Yeah, that makes sense. And then you would get angry, I would assume, Mm -hmm. and lash out at her because she didn't believe you maybe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh my goodness. I find that too. A lot of parents do kind of sit in that place of denial because, I mean, I'm a parent, and I can understand you don't want anything to be quote-unquote wrong with your Mm -hmm. child. Like we said earlier, the fact of the matter is little children are humans, and Mm -hmm. all humans have struggles, Mm -hmm. and it can be and look like anything. And so I I think a great takeaway for the audience is that parents need to really get outside of that denial phase or existence and really see what's going on if their kid is asking for help. Exactly. One thing that I did wish I did earlier was – not force my parents, but like strongly recommend I really need to talk to someone sooner. That's what I wish I would have done when I was younger instead of waiting till college and letting everything kind of explode at one time. I started going to therapy in 2017. I had my heart surgery. In the end of 2016, my cousin passed away from suicide. Mm. So that was, everything was kind of just building up and exploded pretty much for me. Yeah, you had so many big events and losses mm-hmm. and trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and I can imagine heart surgery is very traumatic. It was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, of course, the loss of your loved one. That's mm-hmm. hugely traumatic. And so you're saying that kind of just all climaxed, came together, and yeah. that's when you reached out. I feel like I'm, a, I'm pretty good at hiding things, like emotional, emotion-wise. 
I just put up a, a brick wall, and unless it's my um, husband, then I don't really talk to people like this. Um, we need to talk to people and let them know, hey, I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. Help me. Yeah, hey, it's okay not to be okay. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> and and destigmatizing mental health and especially diagnoses like bipolar disorder. So how does a therapist help someone with bipolar disorder? What are some specific maybe coping strategies that they might teach someone? So for me, she gave me a bunch, but the ones that stood out to me and helped me the most was sticking to a schedule, whether it's every other day or every single day, just making sure I have something going on to keep me on track making sure I'm sleeping enough. Mm. I, had, I had to take sleep medicine for a little bit and getting enough exercise. I started walking my dog more. I started running him a little bit and that helped. And then keeping track of like what triggered me, whether it be a person, a circumstance I was in, or even something that I, I read that could make me think back to a time in my life. Mm. So all those are very helpful for me. And then just being able to talk to someone that understood what I was going through and she knew that I needed someone to talk to and was there for me. My current husband, he he had some family stuff going on as well, and I encouraged him to go. He only went once, but <laughs> he still went, and I was very proud of him for doing it, and he said it did help him a little bit. Yeah, talking to a therapist during mm-hmm. his difficult time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether someone's on medication for bipolar or not, it is, I know therapists definitely encourage if someone's taking medication that they stay on their medication regimen, mm-hmm. they stay in touch with their psychiatrist or PCP that's administering or prescribing the medication. And that's part of that self-care routine and taking care of yourself. Talking about the coping skills, I know that you are a huge animal lover, specifically horses. And so how have your horses helped you with your diagnosis and and as part of a therapy? So I have three horses. I've had one of them since I was two. It's about 20 years we've had that one. And the other two I've gotten throughout my childhood. And they've been extremely helpful for me because they can't understand what you're saying words-wise, but they can understand your emotion. And anytime I fall down, I can just go up to them and they know like if I'm crying, I'm sad, like they understand and they'll just be there for you. And one of them, his name is Corrigan, he knows how to hug people. Oh. So like I'll just go up to him and he'll hug me back. And Lacey, my other one, I used to compete with her throughout my childhood. She knows me like inside and out, but like my horses and my dogs, my cats, they're pretty much my best friends. And they've always been there for me to help me get through any emotional distress or trauma and in turn taking care of them keeps me on track with the schedule so it goes hand in hand it just really speaks to the animal therapy you know there's a I'm sure you're aware there's a whole segment of therapy animal assisted therapy and some therapists specialize in that and they use animals in their therapy office or therapy setting there's equine therapy Mm -hmm. which is used for a lot of children on the autistic spectrum, Mm -hmm. but also other individuals with grief and loss and other mental health struggles. And I love that. I I know that your horses are so special to you (laughs) and they're more than just an animal. They're Mm -hmm. uh, like family members for you. But that is, that's really cool that you're able to use them in a therapeutic way. Mm Yeah. Yes. I was actually going to bring up the miniature horses. Mm. Um, They do a lot of therapy. I've seen them on airplanes before. I'm not sure how that plays out, but I've seen them on airplanes and they can be used for, um, as an icing horse, Mm -hmm. they can be used for that as well. And they're very therapeutic for smaller kids as well so they're not as intimidating as a larger horse Mm. and some horses even come in hospitals 
nursing homes as well. They'll come up to the window, or depending on the building layout, they'll also bring the horse inside the building. Now I've um, never seen that before. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool to watch. Yeah, um, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I just really, really want to thank you for your bravery and sharing your own story and just educating the public. One of our main missions at 180 Counseling, besides helping people turn their lives around, is squashing the stigma around mm-hmm. mental health illness and mental health struggles. And, and you being brave like this and sharing your own story just really goes a long way in helping to squash that stigma. So we appreciate you sharing your story and being on our team. And if you want to reach out to one of our many therapist at 180 Counseling to talk about your own struggles or maybe you have some questions about bipolar disorder or other mental health diagnoses, you can find us on our website at www.1-80counseling.com. 65 therapists in five locations and we surely can help you turn your life around. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Turning Your Life Around podcast, presented by 180 Counseling, with five triangle locations to serve you. Learn more at 1-80counseling.com. This has been an exclusive presentation of News Radio 680 WPTF and 98.5 FM, a Curtis Media Group station.